Welcome to HBF. It is great to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, be open up to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, 1 John chapter 3. And what a great what a great day it's turned out to be, amen? It's been great weather. Uh, had a little rain, always use a little rain after a heat, heat wave that we've had. So uh, just a blessed time. I hope you're going to enjoy your Labor Day weekend. And we'll start off, well, we're kind of into it now, but uh, I want to really uh, encourage you today in the Word of God, if at all possible. As we're going through this chapter, 1 John chapter 3, this is such an encouraging chapter. And uh, it helps us appreciate the fullness of our birthright in the Son of God. So I'm taking my time with it. I'm just working on that. Before I jump into the text, though, uh, I just want to also welcome those that are joining us online. We're glad to have you with us this morning. And uh, there's what is that text number? Somebody tell me once more. 94,000. Thousand, right. Text HBF guest at 94,000. And I found out, I, I should know this. I wish I had it here. You get a special, uh, this isn't for all you regulars. This is for the first time guests. You get a special gift, not just a gift bag. They have a special gift for you at the connections counter. And so uh, if you ever, uh, you know, you're like, Brian, I don't want to raise my hand. It is awkward to show everybody I'm a guest. I get that. You can text HBF guest to 94,000 and we will get you a special uh, gift bag. I mentioned that because if you're joining us online and you're like, hey, I want to be counted and included, you want to be connected, just do that. Text that to that text line and we will get connected to you even online so we can make, uh, touch base with you. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, grab one from the seat rack in front of you. You'll find in the back of first, the back of that, that uh, Bible, First John, and I was going to write the page number down, I forgot, but it's toward the back. If you actually start in the back in Revelation and go forward, you'll get there quicker. And, uh, and then you'll get to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Before I jump into the text, too, I just want to thank all that filled in last week at both 9 o'clock and 10.30. We celebrate our fabulous fifth Sunday. And uh, I know Bob and Randy and Steve and all those that gave testimony did a fantastic job. Did they do a great job? Amen. Awesome. We all celebrated the Lord's Supper, and uh, we're one mind and one accord. So what a great day to get into the Word of God. I also want to thank all those who came out and helped with the walk this weekend, Man Life Issues, raised almost $14,000. Uh, isn't that awesome? That's incredible. Yeah, praise God. And so, uh, man, I, and I think that'll probably come in and maybe a little more. So we're just thankful for that and thankful for all the work that went into that. And uh, a lot of people put a lot of effort into that. So we praise God for that. Also, I just want to thank those who prayed for us as we traveled to Boston you know, James Horton, who's, uh, who's hospitalized right now, he's suffering right now from illness, but uh, he was one of, one of the many people praying for us. He was texting, though, quite often, letting us know, I'm praying for you, praying for you. And I just want you guys to know, we felt your prayer. I know a lot of you were, were commenting on the fact that you were praying for us, and uh, your prayers were answered. We were able to see uh, six souls come to church on Sunday evening service, and a couple more make, uh, you know, continual contact through uh, Pastor Mike Renault. And so uh, after we left, uh, and so that's a good thing, especially in Boston is a really tough, tough clown. I, Chris gave a testimony this morning and I shared a little bit Wednesday night. And so, uh, you know, Jim Stovall, myself, uh, Brady and Chris, we all thank you all for your prayers. And we, we felt them and we needed them. And uh, I want to just continue to encourage you to pray for Pastor Mike Renault. He and his wife, Meredith, his son, Hudson, and his daughter, Amelia, are really thankful uh, for the time that you guys were able to, to give up us here to send us out there and invest in that church plan in a key place, a key city, key man, of course, with the key message of the gospel. So praise God for that. Continue to pray for them. 
And so this morning, as we continue our study on uh, beholding the love of the Father, that's really what we're looking at for the next few weeks. Last time I preached, we beheld our relationships as the Son of God. We just took some time and just parked the car on what it is to be a Son of God. And today we're going to look at our relationship to sin. Uh, and so, uh, or I'm sorry, our relationship to the world, not sin. That's next week. I got, I got ahead of myself. So this week we're going to talk about our relationship and how we behold our relationship with the world. All this is laid out in the text. It's kind of layered uh, line upon line, but it says in, in our text, uh, and let's just look at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, and we'll jump in this morning with a little review. The Bible says here in, in uh, 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the word of God this morning. It's just good to be in your, in your presence, Lord, to be with one another around the Holy Word of God. Lord, this is your words to us today, and you have something to say to us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless the reading, the hearing, the applying of the Word of God in our lives. Lord, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your church. Thankful for the Spirit of God that dwells within us. And uh, I just pray a blessing today on the things that you would have us learn about our relationship to the world. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we look at our relationship with the world, just in case you're joining us for the first time or you've slept since a couple weeks ago, just reminding you of where we've been. We started off talking about uh, beholding our relationship as sons of God. And when I did that, I gave you some things that we can learn from this chapter, the whole chapter, and we will touch on these in the next few weeks. We can know that we shall be like Christ at his coming. We can know that we shall be manifested, or that Jesus, was, I'm sorry, was manifested to take away our sins. And we know that we have passed from death unto life. We know that, we, that no murderer hath eternal life. And we know that we are of the truth. And we know that he abideth in us. These are the no statements in, the, in the 1 John chapter 3. And this book is not just a book of love. It's a book of knowing. And that's why the title of our sermon series is to know God is to love God. And so our relationship to the Father uh, <clears throat> is also addressed. We've already covered that. Today we're going to be talking about our relationship to the world and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about our relationship to sin and to our brothers. And that just finishes off the rest of this chapter. So last time we got together, we saw that our standing as sons of God reveals the love of the Father. And so we got to you know, spend some time talking about God's love for us. And then we talked about how it also reveals our value. And then the last thing we talked about, or the last two things, is, the, is it reveals God's power. And then God's plan, the timing and the, and the mystery of, of the really the catching away and our transition and our transformation into the glorious light beings of Christ that uh, we will be when we get to heaven. So uh, that kind of ends our review and gets us to where we are today. We're still in the same text, but I'm going to emphasize, instead of the first part of chapter 3 and verse 1, I'm going to emphasize chapter 3 and uh, verse 1, the last part of this verse. So as you look at this text, let's just look at it once again. Uh, as we look at beholding our relationship with the world, he says here, Behold, right, get a hold of this, look at this, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And he's talking now from our last message. He's talking to the church. He's talking about born-again believers, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, all right, therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 
Okay, I want to focus on that this morning. The world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's a lot in this passage, and I, I pray that God can give us some richness this morning as we continue. So point A here, the one on your outline, the world does not recognize our divine relationship. Now, I don't think this is like a big newsflash for anyone here, um, but it is important to kind of keep this in mind, especially as the, the, the days grow a little darker. Uh, it's important to kind of grasp a hold that the world does not recognize our divine relationship, right? This issue of us being children of God, sons of God in particular, and, uh, and filling up the kingdom of God, that the world doesn't get a hold of that. The word therefore in the text is there, and you'll hear me often say this, it's there so we can uh, look and, and kind of contextualize what's coming, right? So when you see the word, you can tell me, some of you guys have heard this so many times, when you see the word therefore, what should you do? That's right, see why it's therefore, right? So when you see therefore, why? what is it therefore? And so therefore, it's right, it's continuing this thought, it's connecting us to what, what he said about us becoming um, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should become the sons, or be called, I'm sorry, the sons of God. Therefore, right? So becoming a son of God uh, implies something. And it implies what, what, the, the, what the Word of God says right here, that the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And that's, you know, that kind of might be something that you would lament over. You know, like, you mean, I've got to give up something when I get saved? Yeah, your relationship to the world. Uh, and, and so that's why it's associated with death. I was going to actually, this was going to be a two-point uh, message. It was going to be, uh, we're dead to the world, and the world's dead to us. That, that was actually how I had it outlined, but after praying about it, I, I decided to change it up a little bit. But you could boil it down and make it that simple. I mean, really, you're dead to the world, and the world's dead to you. When you get saved and become a child of God, that's the reality of it. Now, it doesn't always feel that way, and we don't always act that way, but that is really... What happens, therefore, right? When you become a child of God, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So John is pointing out that the love of the Father bestowed upon us who are born again has changed our relationship with the world. And if you're truly born again, you do have a brand new nature. And, and so 2 Corinthians 5, a passage that may be familiar to some, but don't just, just kind of gloss over because it it's really rich. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Notice that Paul is speaking here of the love of Christ. That's what Paul is, or that's also what John is speaking of. The, the, the Father's bestowed upon us this incredible love. He's called us sons of God. When we receive the love of Christ, we receive Christ. When we receive Christ, we become sons of God. So he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them. So in essence, what Paul is saying is that, that, is that you know, because uh, we, Jesus Christ died for everyone, when we get saved and we trust Christ as Lord and Savior, we should live our life for him. That is the indication that you are truly a son of God. You are a child of God. And he goes on to say that, that they which live should, should not henceforth live unto themselves. That means our life is not our own. Our life is him. It's, it's the one who died for, we just sang it, cornerstone, right? Lord of all. What, do, what does that really mean, Lord of all? Lord means, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the uh, you know, years past, Lord meant 
uh, it was a land baron. It was somebody that uh, in a feudal system was in charge of the property, and you worked for that guy. You lived under that guy. You were under his rule. He was the Lord, right? And, uh, and of course, from an even larger perspective, Jesus Christ is the ruler. He is the Lord of all. He is Lord Almighty. When we get saved, he is our Lord. And a child, as long as, you know, like Galatians, right? A, 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 a child, an heir, it says in Galatians chapter 4, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant, right? So a child coming up in a home, hey, he may be a son or a daughter, right? But a child coming up in the home, what are they, what are they supposed to do? The Bible tells them in Ephesians 6, obey. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Why? Because while you're a child, even though you're going to be heir of the estate, you differ nothing from a servant, right? And so lordship is a, a big part of salvation, learning to obey the Father in heaven, understanding that he is Lord. So he says, look, we get saved, and, and you know what? We should not henceforth, from that point forward, live our life to ourselves. We should live our life for Christ, who gave his life for all everybody, but especially those of us who are saved, and he rose again, right? So there's a promise that comes with it. Not only that we have a life today that we live for the Lord, but there's a reward when we're obedient at the judgment seat of Christ. And it goes on for eternity. So wherefore, he says in verse 16, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. This is no longer a flesh relationship. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. So he's saying Jesus Christ, though he has skin, is no longer in that earthly body. Well, what is he? Well, he's glorified. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So Jesus Christ is able to trans uh, to cross over from heaven to earth within minutes, go to the throne of God, come back with a new body, sit around and eat, talk to people, disappear, walk through walls. I mean, he can do all He's just amazing. He can, he can ascend in the clouds. He can come back in glory. He's got this body that can transcend time, space, and all of that kind of stuff. That's where you're headed, right? Right now we have this flesh, but he says, you know what? You are a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, Paul points out that because of our new relationship to Christ as sons of God, we no longer live as we did before. We have a new nature because we have become a new creature. And note, it's not a new creation. A new creature means that you have become and something new that implies that you have been changed into a different life form, right? You went from death to life, right? A, a creation is, you can, this wood is a creation, right? You take something that was living and you create something with it. Uh, now that wood's dead. But Jesus Christ, when he comes in us, first, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us very clearly that we are quickened, right? When the Holy Spirit of God comes into us, we're not just a new creation, we're a new creature, why? Because Christ indwells us, and with that comes all the benefits of being an heir, an heir of eternal life, an heir of the Father, the Father in heaven. We share the same Father. That's just crazy, but true. That's what the Bible teaches us. We're a new creature in Christ. Therefore, the world, getting back to our text in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, therefore, because all of this happens when you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, the world doesn't get it. They don't understand it. They don't see it. They're not able to get their, their minds and their hearts and their heads around it. The world doesn't know you <clears throat> any more than it knew Jesus. Think about that. The world doesn't really get you any more than it would Jesus. Did they get Jesus? No, not really. 
At Jesus' incarnation, the world did not even recognize him. The angels parted the night sky in Bethlehem and announced his birth to the lowly shepherds. And, and you know what happened. Um, nobody took note. Those lowly shepherds went out and they proclaimed it. They were excited. But nothing, Herod didn't know about it. It took wise men coming from the east to actually clue him in. And, and he didn't know what was going on. It, it didn't, nobody paid any attention to it. But God and the angels and some lowly shepherd boys. There was no room for the inn. In the inn, I'm sorry. There was no room for Jesus in the inn, right? He had to be born in a manger. You guys, in, in a stable, of course, and laid in a manger. For he was born in the humblest of places, in the humblest of ways, though he was creator of all. And it's indicative of, of how the world really views the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, <clears throat> it wasn't that there weren't prophecies stating that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Obviously, the wise men figured it out. But his own, he came to his own, his own received him not. When he was 12 years old, he sat among the doctors in the temple for three days. They were, he was asking questions and giving answers to those that gathered, and, and they were astonished. But no one took note of the fact that, that he was the light of the world. His own parents didn't even realize he was missing until they were a day, one day outside of Jerusalem. And then they're like, oh, what happened to Jesus? They didn't even take note of him. Luke 2.48 says, and, and when they saw him, they were amazed. This is the doctors in the temple. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is, how is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? I mean, his parents, they had divine revelation of who Jesus was. It wasn't that they didn't know who Jesus was. They did not get who Jesus was. I mean, they, had to, they needed the Holy Ghost to teach them just like we do. They had to get their head around that. And the Bible tells us very clearly they didn't really understand what was going on when Jesus was there uh, talking to the doctors and lords. It says in verse 50 of Luke 2, it says, And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. He tells them very plainly, very directly, I must be about my father's business. And they're like, doesn't compute. Your dad's a carpenter. No, my dad, my father in heaven, right? I'm, I'm Jesus. <laughs> I'm Messiah. I'm God in the flesh. Now, did they know that intellectually? Absolutely, they understood that. God made that very clear to them. They at least had that insight. But it was hard for them to get their head and their heart around it. Why? Because they were of this world. They had a worldly mindset. In Jesus' earthly ministry, many came to hear Jesus speak and perform miracles. I mean, Crowds would gather. I mean, everybody wanted a miracle. They wanted something from Jesus. Except they didn't want what he had to say when it came right down to it. They didn't want him. They wanted something from him, but they didn't want him. And so people struggled greatly to comprehend what he was communicating because they were not yet indwelled with the Holy Ghost. You know, our sinful nature does not comprehend divine revelation. You know, speaking to religious leaders in Israel, Jesus said this, familiar passage to many of us, John eight forty one. He says, you do the deeds of your father, small f, by the way, earthly father. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication, a backhanded stab at Jesus' relationship with Joseph, implying that his mom and dad were fornicating. We have one, capital F, father. We have one father, even God. God's our father, because what they're implying, if you read the whole text, is Abraham 
is our covenant, and we are in Him, and we're in the Father through this covenant relationship with Abraham. That's what they're implying with that statement. In verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but, but He sent me. And He says it very clearly. I'm from the Father. He's implying I am the Son. Why do you therefore, uh, why do you not, he says in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Now, they were listening to what he had to say, but they were not hearing what he had to say. And then he goes on to tell them very plainly, ye are of your father, small f, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so he tells these religious leaders that you guys, in essence, uh, you are just as, as plain as day of your father, the devil. Your, your father isn't God. Your father is the devil. And he declares that they have a different father than he does because you can't love the father in heaven if you don't love his son. Because these are one. 1 John 5 reveals that to us. These are one. You can't say you love the Father and you don't love me because I am the Son. If you want to see that, he says it later, I, I and the Father are one, right? If, you want, if you've seen me, he tells Stephen, or not Stephen, but he tells Thomas, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. So you can't say that you love the Father and you don't love me. I am the Father, right? And so... So there's this relationship that, that Jesus wants to have, but people are not willing uh, to receive his word. They, they could not understand his speech because they didn't have his nature. Now, ultimately, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. You guys know the story. And uh, Judas is the son of perdition. He falsely accused uh, Jesus, and then he was beaten beyond recognition, unjustly condemned to death, and crucified with the consent of of the very men who claimed the moral high ground and authority in Jerusalem, the ones that he had actually called the, the, their father was the devil. They actually fulfilled that. They became murderers, just like their father. And with the aid of the Roman government, they conspired to fulfill those very words that Jesus spoke of them. So they were murderers, just like Satan, who enjoys destroying innocence and demolishing God's image anywhere he finds it. You see, Satan, Satan found Adam... And Adam was in the garden. He was created in the image of God. As a matter of fact, Luke 3.38, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is the mention, the only other mention of son, the angels were sons of God. We talked about that. We are sons of God. And then Jesus is the Son of God, capital S. And then there's one more Son of God, and that's Adam. And that, you find that in the book of Luke, chapter 3, and verse 38. So when he was created, he was created, obviously, without sin. And he was this innocent creation of God that was told to, to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, procreate. And it would have been perfect uh, offspring were it not for sin. But of course, the devil didn't want that. The devil didn't want sons of God because the angels that fell with him were sons of God. He didn't want anyone replacing his inheritance. And so he attacks and he goes on the offensive. And of course, he beguiles Eve and you know how that goes. And Adam follows suit. And, and uh, of course, sin enters the uh, human genome. And we've been corrupted ever since. That's why we can all say, if we're honest, we, just like Romans 3.23 says, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. And we, you know, what does that mean? That means we have been, we have all been affected by the devil. We've all been affected by sin. That's why we wrestle with evil from the time of our youth. Because 
It's, it's wired in us. It's in our sinful nature. We need Jesus Christ to give us a new nature. That's why Jesus taught Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need a new birth. Ron just said it, right? You either are born once and die twice, or you're born twice and you die once. And so he, he found, <clears throat> so we see that, uh, that Satan goes on the offensive. You know, he found Jesus, the Son of God, manifested in the flesh, and he devised a plan to destroy him as well. And in his pride, he missed the fact that Jesus' meekness was not weakness. And in betraying him to the Jews, he fulfilled the law as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Because you'll never outsmart Jesus. He's always, you know, a million steps ahead. So you, 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 <clears throat> so we, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in you. And the Son of God is diametrically different from the Spirit of this world. And we spent some time several weeks ago talking about this world has its own spirit. I'm not going to go back and re-preach all of that. But the world knoweth us not because, well, it knew him not. That's what the text says. It doesn't take but a few minutes in Christ to figure out the last half of chapter 3 and verse 1. I mean, I don't know about y'all's testimony. It, I don't think it matters if you got saved at 5, 6, 7, 17, or 70 years old. When you get saved, you know something happens. You may not be able to articulate it or describe it, but there is something that changes inside of you. Of course, we know now we can articulate it because we know the Bible and we can talk about the Holy Ghost entering us, sealing our soul until the day of redemption and all of those uh, particulars that happen, uh, being spiritually circumcised. There's a lot of different things that we learn from the New Testament about what happens the moment we get saved. But without all of that education, I can tell you, uh, I was born again. March 25th of 1987, it took me about 30 minutes into my salvation before my identity in Christ ran directly into a brick wall with the world. I mean, it didn't take very long at all. And I, I won't get into the details here, but without, without one sermon, without attending church one time, I knew in my soul I was changed. And I, and I could not live the way I was living 30 minutes before. I mean, it just, it just was, it was different. Now, I'm not telling, trying to tell you all got to live through my experience. I'm just telling you, this is my testimony. If you don't like it, you should get your own. But the point is this. <laughs> so I knew as I got saved, and I was different. That doesn't mean, and by the way, it's that same day, within hours after I got saved, the devil was loading me up with stuff to tempt me. I got, I got free beer, man. I never, when I was that age, I never got cases of beer for free. I literally got a free case of beer the day I got saved. I don't tell that story very often. There's more to it, but I'm going to stop there. I just have you know, I didn't drink it all. God used that gift to get me off of the sauce, actually. The last beers I ever drank were off of that. Why? Because of the same principle. I'll just go ahead and tell the story. So, <laughs> so, so 30 minutes in, I knew I was different. I couldn't do what I wanted to do before. A couple hours later, I got a free gift of, of uh, alcohol that I never, at that age, was. it was like, I mean, it was hard to, it was hard to find beer. I mean, when you're underage, you got to go find someone to buy it for you and all that, or you got to steal your dad's, and he's like, what are you doing? And then all, you know, so, yeah, God just, or God, the devil just blessed me. I pull up and see my buddy, and he's like, man, this, this guy that I'm working for gave me a case of beer, but I'm 15 years old, and I can't take this home. Here, put it in your trunk. So then I had to go find a place. Anyway, so I found a place for it, and then at, at, at break, I go over there, to, I'm, and I'm witnessing to somebody, and I'm just sitting there telling about Jesus, drinking my beer. And I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. And uh, 
I started getting a little buzzy, you know, and I'm like, I was having a hard time witnessing. And all of a sudden, I was like, this is, this is hindering me. And so I put it down. Now, I was not an alcoholic. Like, uh, a lot of people couldn't just put it down. For me, that was not a thing. I just was like, I'm done. But it tastes bad anyway. Why, why do I want to drink that stuff anyhow? So, so I just put it down. Why? I had a new spirit. I had the spirit of God in me. The spirit of God said, this spirit is not what you need, Brian. It is hindering your ability to witness to this man. So I put it down, and, and I'm not trying to like break my arm, pat myself on the back. I just never had the need to pick it up again. And so praise the Lord for that. My point is simply this. You are a new creature in Christ. The world is diametrically opposed. You don't have to be saved very long to know that the things of this world are working against the Spirit of God in you. And, and so I tell you what, it, it works on you. You know, another, you know, another wild thing about that is when, I, when you get saved, right, you have this limited knowledge in, in vocabulary. And so you're trying to tell people what happened. At least I did. And it was like, goo goo gaga, <laughs> goo goo gaga, you know, I got saved, this is the verses, do this, you know, and I didn't know really comprehend everything that was going on, but I immediately went to work trying to tell people about it, and, and I couldn't really even articulate exactly what happened other than I believe these verses about Jesus, and I trusted him, and I'm different, I'm different, I'm different, I'm different. I have a new relationship with this world, completely different than I had before. I couldn't articulate that. I didn't even understand all that. I still don't know if I understand all that. It didn't change the fact, though, that I was a new creature in Christ. And old things, this is the point, old things were passed away. And behold, man, this is sweet. Behold, all things are become new. I can still recall the day I, not the day I, oh, I can remember the day I got saved, right? I just told you a couple events of that day. But what was really cool is the next day when I woke up, and I looked out the window, and I realized this is not an emotional response. I, am de- I remember waking up that morning. I'm getting excited just talking about it. Looking out the window going, I am a new creature. I didn't actually know the verse yet. I didn't know how to articulate it. But in my heart, I knew I was different. I am not the same guy I was the day before. I, am, I don't know what this is, but I am I'm Jesus-possessed. You know, that's what happened. I got Jesus-possessed. And I can remember that, that, how that felt, understanding. Not even really able to articulate, my understanding wasn't full, but just knowing that I had been born again. And now, I can also tell you a testimony of years of, uh, of time after that, not too long after that, a year or so later. I was wondering if I was even saved, right? Going through questions and all of that. But the reality is it's the Word of God that anchors us. So we'll get into all of that a little bit more in sanctification next week, but what I want to just point out this, this morning is that the world and your relationship with it is, is different. If you're truly born again, there is, there is, you just don't have the same relationship with the world that you had before you got saved. And I would ask you, if you do have the same relationship, have you gotten saved? Because there should be a difference in the way you relate to the world. The world simply doesn't understand what happens when a person trusts Christ as Lord and Savior. What's, what's, what is more heartbreaking is that the world doesn't care. How often do the hosts of heaven break out in rejoicing over a sinner that repents on this earth while you hear crickets here on the planet? Not even noted. I mean, I tell you what, guys, God is excited about 
seeing people born again. The New Testament has a lot to say about the world and our relationship to it. I could take all the time I have and more just to preach on all the references, but today I don't have time. So John has done a great job of giving us like some cliff notes and some reasons that the world knoweth us not. So look over in chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John 2.15, and we've been here before, but we're going to circle back here and look at this. 1 John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it tell, you remember this, for we remember memorize this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. How long is forever? Forever, right? That's not temporarily. So if you boil down what John says here, he is simply saying the world is not interested in eternal things. What are they interested in? They're interested in temporal things, things that are not going to abide forever, things that please the flesh, things that engage the eye sockets and the egos, right? The flesh, the eyes, the ego, that's really what it's about. Being born again and becoming a son of God is not something they understand without the quickening power of the Holy Ghost. Those Pharisees who were wrangling with Jesus in John 8 were simply of this world and could not understand who who Jesus was because their hearts were not sensitive to the Word of God, with the exception of some like Nicodemus. But for the most part, having all that religion didn't do anything. to, to They were just as worldly with religion as they were without because they wouldn't receive the Word of God. The Word of God is preeminent. Those Pharisees were wrangling with him. In John eight twenty three, it says, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. When we talk about Jesus, there's a lot of talk about uh, you know UFOs today. It's finally coming out of the closet. Everybody's talking about you know we know where all this is going because we we know the sons of God are going to appear in the Genesis six uh, sense and all of that as we get close to the tribulation or into the tribulation period or whatever. But at the end of the day, forget all that because you've got an other world experience when you trust Christ as Lord and Savior. When I say I got possessed by Jesus, I ain't kidding. Something happened when you get saved. Something happens. Jesus takes you over. And that's why he is Lord of all. He goes on to say, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am he. Ye shall die in your sins. I mean, he double emphasizes it. You will die in your sins if you don't understand that Jesus is God. This world does not get a hold of who Jesus Christ is. They make light of him. They make fun of him. They diminish him. They minimize him. They always have and they always will unless Jesus Christ becomes Lord of their life. Maybe you're here this morning and it has occurred to you that you have not, you've been missing this point. Maybe you thought all this time about church as a religion, but it isn't about religion. It's not even about reformation. We don't need to get better. We need to be completely transformed. Not, <clears throat> the, the good news of Jesus is about a relationship that transforms us from the inside out. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you have even rejected him like the Pharisees and the scribes and the Romans. You know, if you're, if you're hearing him call you, you need to respond today because if you don't, you will die in your sins. And beloved, I've, I, man, I, I know what it's like to reject the call of God. And it's the grace of God. If you get one more chance when you know it's time, you better take it because you're not guaranteed another one. 
When the Spirit of God's working on your heart, He's making it clear and it's clicking and you're finally getting that Jesus Christ is not some cunningly devised fable. He is a real person. He's God manifest in the flesh. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He arose from the grave the third day. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He sends His Spirit, His Word, and His church to promote Him and propagate, pro- propagate Him. How do you say that? Get Him out around the world. Man, I tell you, when you, that comes to you and you get it, it's time to get saved. If you miss it, man, I don't know what's going to happen. You may die in your sins. If you're breathing, it's grace. Point B, the world does not understand our new authority either. In verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, we've covered this passage and talked about already the, the, the uh, coming of the Lord and our transition. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But John is pointing out a couple of things that we need to note about the sons of God that will help us deal with the world in a practical way. And how many of you need some practical stuff? I know I do. So the point is simply this. He's saying you are a son of God tomorrow. Now, right? Now are we the sons of God. Thank you, Sharon. Just as Adam was placed on the planet to accomplish the mission of being fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth, we have been left here to impact the world by being fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth. That's what we do. The only difference is we don't do it through physical seed, as Adam was commanded to do. We do it by redeeming the souls of men through the gospel. We, are the, we alone in the church age, the sons of God, the born-again Christians, are the only ones that are, that are given this mission to reproduce spiritual fruit through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing people born again. I mean, this is a unique time in history, this age of grace, from the time of the resurrection and the calling out of the church in Acts chapter 2 until the time of the catching away of the church. We reproduce spiritual fruit by preaching the gospel, delivering the seed of God's word into this fertile soil of the heart, because there are those, even though the world is diametrically opposed to everything that we stand for, every, for the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ who resonates from our heart, even though the world is absolutely dead set against it, they cannot stop us because God is more powerful. That's why, the, that's why uh, Paul is not kidding in Romans chapter 1 when he says, hey, this is the power of God unto salvation. I'm going to preach the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. That simple message, it has so much entwined in it because it represents the power of Jesus Christ over sin and death. When you go out in this world full of faith and you tell people the truth about who Jesus is and what he can do in their life, it will absolutely change them from the inside out. They'll be going away 30 minutes later knowing, I am not the same. I have a different course from this world. The world is no longer my own. And the world has no longer got the attraction that it used to have. The world is no longer what I'm about. This world eventually is going to burn. But I'm going to live forever. Man, praise God. And it's not fair. It's not fair that a sinner like me gets saved and can live forever. And so what do you want to do? You want to go tell everybody, man, you got to get saved because it ain't fair that I got saved and you didn't. And you yell and you scream and you jump and you holler and still they're not getting it. Why? Because they're of this world. Just like I used to be. We'll get to the sanctification next week. What really pushes the ball across the line is also contained in this, in this passage. But I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Sharing the gospel is so important. We cannot make disciples if we don't preach the gospel. The manifestation of our salvation should be a changed life that changes others' 
lives as well through the gospel. You don't have to know the books of the Bible even to share the gospel. You just got to get out and share it, man. If you got to say, tell people what happened to you. Bring them to somebody that can help them and get them saved. You can't really get anyone saved, but you can just share. And you will watch the Spirit of God go to work on those with a sensitive heart. I'm a little fired up about this because of our trip to Boston. I mean, we go up there. Yeah, it's hard. People are not as friendly, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you know what? There is a lot of people with hurting hearts. And when someone will stop to talk to them, I'm convinced, man. I'm like, we should be doing this much more here at home. I mean, random people on the streets, like, if you start talking about Jesus, have you heard the gospel? No, what are you talking about? And when you start in on the gospel, hearts open. I talked, I mean, I'm talking Muslims. It doesn't matter who you talk to. There's power in the gospel. Power in knowing that God come to this world to overcome our sin. Man, what a credible thing. We're a new creature in Christ. This world is not, after you've had enough of this world, you realize there, it is not enough. Education's not enough. Money's not enough. Pleasure's not enough. There's just nothing here for us. You need something more. And we have him. His name is Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, now you face the same resistance Jesus did. You're all on the team. How many of you, I don't want you all to raise hands, but I would say, I'd hazard to guess, most if not all of you would say, I'm on the team. Man, I am born again. I hope, that, I hope that's your testimony today. And if it is, I just want you to know, now that, now that you're on the team, now that you understand this, you're going to face the same resistance Jesus did. Look over in John chapter 15. Turn over there. Don't just look on the screen because it's a lot of text. Look in John chapter 15 with me real quick. John 15 and verse 18. John 15, 18. I'm there, so you should be there. All right, John 15 and verse 18. <clears throat> if the world hates you, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Right? First John chapter one, uh, 3 and verse 1, right? There's something unique about our relationship with the war- world. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19 if you were of the world, well, this is what the world will do. The world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If, if, they, have persec- if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Right now as we meet, there are believers in Afghanistan who are going to heaven by martyrdom. Because their Islamic neighbors hate the words of Jesus Christ. I mean, just like they hated Jesus. Right now, in this country, there are forces at work to limit the influence of Christ in the culture by categorizing the gospel as hate speech because it doesn't support the agenda of sexual perversion and immorality. And so we become the bad guy because we love people enough to tell them the truth. Beloved, the church has been foolish to think they can be friends with the world. Man, I tell you, since I've been a pastor, especially since I've been a pastor, the last 30 years, I'd say, I haven't been a pastor in 30 years, about 20 years I've been a pastor, but for the last 30 years, especially the last 20 years, there's been a lot of teaching out there, and I've read the books and seen the stuff, and it's all this, this stuff about, you know, trying to encourage the world, you know, not being awkward, not being a peculiar people. Now, I'm, all, I'm not about 
being legalistic and all that. I do think there's some merit in some of that. But at the end of the day, our job is not to assimilate with the world. I'm glad I got saved from the world, right? I got saved out of the world. I don't want to go back to the world. I get uncomfortable when I'm in the world because that's not my home. I'll go to the world because I need to get people saved, but I don't want to go live there again. I don't want to go back where I came from. Are you kidding me? It's a terrible thing. The church needs to wake up. We are not here to be buddies with the lost and, 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 and encourage the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I was listening to Caleb last year about Patrick Mahomes. They're, they got, they're talking about Patrick Mahomes as a Christian. I'm like, what? I'm yelling at the radio. I like, hey, man, that's a great quarterback. I love Patrick Mahomes as far as a quarterback. He can throw a football, whatever. But Christian, are you kidding me? This guy's fornicating out of wedlock. He's getting drunk in public, and you want to? And, and this has all happened. This is all out of the. This is all out in the open. And they're still talking about him on a Christian radio station like he's some Christian. Now I'm not. I don't know if he's saved or not. It doesn't matter to me if he's saved. I hope he's saved. I don't know that he's saved. He's probably just some good old lost guy that's religious, like a lot of lost people. He needs to meet Jesus. I hope he gets saved. But let's not exalt people like that as examples of who it is to be a Christian. We don't need people in love with the world being our role model. Why? Because they tickle the lust of the, 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 lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I, I was really disturbed by that. I thought, wow, how disgusting that is. It makes me want to vomit. And that's how Jesus feels. When we go in this world and we walk around in it and we're all filthy in it and we don't have any desire to wash off in the water of the word, when we don't have any desire for heavenly things, when our affections are not set on things above, they're set on the things of this world, and all we want to do is be a friend of the world, all we want to do is love the things of this earth and the things of God grow increasingly dim. The word of God becomes increasingly less powerful in our life. The, the presence of God is no longer an issue in our life. Well, guess what? It affects everything around us. Because we are the people God has called out of this world. We are the ones that God has called to be set apart to reproduce spiritual fruit and to make disciples. That implies discipline. That implies that we are followers of Jesus and he is our first priority. He is Lord of all, as we sang earlier. Because Jesus overcame the world, we've overcome the world. And we should act like it. In 1 John 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We used to have a song. We'd sing that to the kids. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now, this is a very instructional. See, you have authority over the world because Jesus has finished work. And we'll talk more about that next week. But suffice it to say, a son of God is a victor, not a victim, because we are a child of the king. The world has its own echo chamber, right? And it says what it says, and everybody amens it. <clears throat> but it, I tell you what, it doesn't welcome God's words especially the whole counsel of God's word. It'll twist it. It'll, it'll use some of it, but not all of it. And if you've been saved any time at all, you will find this out. You can talk about anything but Jesus. The speech of the king is not welcome or wanted, but sometimes tolerated even in social media. You know how it is. 
you're in a conversation and you can talk about the weather, you can talk about the dog, you can talk about the chiefs, you can talk about the, the anything. But when you bring up Jesus, what happens? The door shuts. The door shuts. However, we see that he that knoweth God hears us. And this helps us. This is very helpful because you know what? Not every conversation does that, does it? And what, what happens there? When you talk to somebody about the word of God and they don't shut the door, that's someone you need to invest in. They're either on their way to the kingdom or they may have already gotten there. And that's what, that's what John is saying in 1 John chapter 4. He's like, guess what? There are people that will hear. There are people that will hear what the Word of God has to say. Those are the people you need to invest in because the people that will hear the Word of God are the people who will follow God. You can talk about Jesus. You can have religion all day long. You can have all kinds of ritual like the Pharisees. And you can make up your own rules and be exceedingly look exceedingly pretty look exceedingly nice, have all kinds of standards and have all kinds of morality, and you can be far, far, far away from the Word of God. But John says, listen, if you love God, you're going to love His Word. You're going to hear His Word. And so that helps us very practically know who we should invest in. As Jesus concluded His public ministry, He is heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. And at this point, uh, he's getting ready to die for the world, but that's not his focus. He's actually praying for, well, for you and for me, and, and particularly for those disciples that were following him at that moment. In John chapter 17, you might flip over there, John 17 and verse 9. John 17 and verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I'll give you a second, if you're still in 15, just a page or two over. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, Get an eye on that. He's not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. I pray for not for the world, but for them thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all are mine, and all mine, I'm sorry, are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I have come to thee, Holy Father, Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. God, keep these disciples unified. Keep them as one so that they can join us in the heaven together. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world. Now, he has not even left the planet yet. And he's saying, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that is Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and, uh, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have uh, my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. You know why the world hated them? Because he gave them his word. And they hated that because the word of God, the Lord, represents authority. It's a higher authority. It even trumped the Pharisees in, in, the, in, the, in Rome. He says in verse 13, and now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou, thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
Amen and amen. He says, you know, Lord, Heavenly Father, he says, I have I prayed that you keep these that are in the world, and, I've, and I to- pray that you do not take them out of the world. Why? Because they are here to represent him in the world. Beloved, that's why we're here today. We're here to represent him in the world and find people who will receive his word so that they can represent him in the world. That's why the mission of God is not simply evangelizing alone. It is discipleship. It's not just making spiritual babies. It's training them up so that they can learn the word of God, that they can go forth and make other spiritual babies that they can train up, right? It's about maturation, not just reproduction alone uh, in a spiritual sense of having spiritual babies. It's about growing people up planting churches, going around the world as we've been commanded and doing the things that God has saved us to do in his glory. So what's very clear is that Jesus is leaving his disciples in the world in his absence. He's not praying for the world, but for his disciples. And beloved, you have been left here in Christ's stead to make disciples, to reconcile people to Christ. Second Corinthians 5.20 makes that clear. I'm going to keep moving for time's sake. So the world, point C, should, should see our new nature, Right? God is your overcomer, all right? He has you. You're good to go. Jesus has saved you. He's prayed for you. He's left you here to accomplish his mission and his power for his glory, and you are not left here to waste space. There's not one soul under the sound of my voice, if you're born again, that is in this world that's been left here just to take up a seat at HBF. As a matter of fact, there's empty seats here. God wants to fill these seats up with people who will hear his word, who will do his word, who will understand their place in this world. Why are you left here? Why did you? Why didn't March 25th, 1987, when I got done praying, why didn't the Lord just give me a nice heart attack and send me home? Why didn't he just, you know, transport me out? Like, what is that they used to do in uh, Star Trek when I was a kid? You know, beam me up, Scotty. That's it. Beam me up, Scotty. You know, just get, that's so old now. You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. So, uh, so you, <laughs> that used to be like a thing. Uh, now it's like, oh, that's no big deal. So, so yeah, I mean, why didn't he just take me out of here? Because he left me here to do some work. He's left you here to do some work. And the world should see our new nature. First John 3, 3 will be done. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. We'll talk more about this next week. But let me just, let me just summarize this. The light of Christ should manifest itself starkly in a dark world in which we live. I mean, he, go over to 1 John chapter, chapter 1, back in our text. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, if you remember, one of our three verses for this whole book of 1 John is in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And God, I tell you what, God wants us to walk in the light. It's not about rules and regulations, and we'll talk about this more next week when we get into uh, how to deal with sin and sanctification and all of that. But at the end of the day, it's about a fellowship with Christ. It's about a relationship with Christ. In Luke chapter 20, verse 26, the Bible says, And they could not take hold of his words before the people, and they marveled at his answer, and they held their peace. Jesus, uh, he, was, he, he dressed like everybody. He, he was common. He talked like everybody. What made Jesus unique was not how he dressed. It wasn't all of that garb. It wasn't all of the outward. It was the inward. And when he spoke, when he was 12 years old, when he spoke, people couldn't resist the wisdom when he was a grown man and he was speaking they could not wrestle out wrestle his words why because his word is true his wisdom is divine his book is holy and beloved you have the words of god when a brother or sister loves god 
God's word, they stand out in this world, and the world hates God and his word because it represents authority. I grew up in the world. I know what the world's like, and I know what the world says about people like me, right? You're goody two-shoes, teetotaler, blah, 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 heard it all, been on both sides of it. You know what? I don't give a rip what you think about that. What I want people to do is know Jesus. I know why people say that. I used to say that stuff. Why did I say that? Because I was convicted of my sin. Christians didn't even have to say anything. When they walk in the Spirit, man, you get convicted in your heart because you know you're in darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. It's not about trying to be a goody two-shoes or what you drink or don't drink. It's about knowing Jesus and the power of the resurrection, man, and being conformed to his very image and the glory of God shines. I've seen it in people my whole life. When I was lost, I would see it. Now that I'm saved, I see it. You can tell when somebody's walking with God and the Spirit of God resonates from their life. Beloved, it's fellowship. It's walking in the light as he's in the light, having fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us from all sin. And you know what happens? Whether people acknowledge it or not, whether the world, they're not going to get on the radio and say, wow, Joe over here is walking in the Spirit. Let's give him applause. As a matter of fact, they may malign you. They may make fun of you. They may, if you're in Afghanistan, they'll kill you. But you know what? That will not stop the Spirit of God from doing His work. I have talked to men personally. I got it recording in writing. I've recorded audibly, and then I've got it documented in Arissa. I think Jeff was with me. I don't know who it was. We were over there listening to these persecutors and how they persecuted the Christians in, in India. And, 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 and one after the another, sitting right next to the people they persecuted, they're now in Christ because the Spirit of God was working in those being persecuted. And there's power. I guarantee you right now, as those lambs are going to heaven and God's taking them out, there's some Muslims right now, they can't sleep at night. They're having terrorizing dreams from the Lord Jesus Christ, letting them know that the Allah they're worshiping is not the same God as these little lambs that just went to heaven. God is at work. God is at work. And we need to be at work. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know, that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You know, one of the ways that it's manifest is what we just did last week, having the Lord's Supper, right? It's, it's, it's making sure our relationships are right with God and with one another. The whole world lieth in wickedness, First John 5 says. We know him that is true, we are in him that is true, and we reveal to the lost and dying world the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And if our gospel be hid, beloved, who's it hid to? them that are lost. And so I want to encourage you, as you think about your relationship with the world, don't just go around like a Pharisee and legalistically try to, to keep all these rules so you're not worldly. No. The answer is found right here. It's fellowship. You don't have to try to be spiritual if you are. You don't have to try to keep rules. If you simply fellowship with Jesus, it's his nature, it's his likeness, it's his image, it's him in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're a new creature in Christ. Don't get all sidetracked on the world. Get, get focused on Jesus. This world, man, it'll distract you. It'll, keep, it'll do everything to keep you away from hearing, hearing, and doing his word. If you want to have success in this world, then you just simply replace everything in this world with the word of God. Put your affections and your heart there. That's what Colossians says to this, this church age. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of this world. Because there isn't nothing here for you, beloved. 
There's a lot of more bells and whistles. There's a lot of neat things to try to get you attracted to it. Turn it off. Ignore it. Focus on things that matter because time is short and we got to get the job done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to, to meet this morning. I pray a blessing on the hearing and the reading of your word. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, we 